You can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. It is your destiny. Anytime you plan to visit Amazon.com, please be aware that if you use the Amazon.com link located on our website, www.2TrueFreaks.com, 2 True Freaks will receive a referral bonus for any items you purchase. There is absolutely no additional cost to you whatsoever for doing this. All proceeds go directly toward keeping new episodes of all your favorite 2 True Freaks affiliated podcasts rolling, and it really helps us out. So please... Use our Amazon.com link anytime you plan to visit Amazon.com. Welcome to Amazon. I love you. <laughs> and now it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. sense a disturbance in the force. You always sense a disturbance in the force. I don't like this. Really pissed me off. Oh no! <laughs> it's a trap! Chewie, get us out of here! You can't run. Ow! Help me! Our two! This is where the fun begins. And now. Together by live simulation via the internet. Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell. Oh, I don't even know what I'm doing here. We're wasting our time. Hello and welcome to Star Wars Monthly Monday number 56. I'm Chris Honeywell and I'm here with my fellow freak, Scott Gardner. Hey! Sorry to say we have another Indiana Jones free month of Star Wars Monthly Monday. <laughs> but we've crammed some extras in here too, so we'll make it worth your time. We swear! I swear. <laughs> this is going to be a lot of fun. We uh, we've got a good number of things. It, it's you know even though Indiana Jones is uh, is being left by the wayside once again, uh, I think we have more than enough to fill a fun episode here. We're gonna actually we got a little bit of everything. We're gonna have some feedback. Yeah. We got a book review. We got uh, the next chapter in the Star Wars Omnibus Wild Space Volume 1. We got all kinds of fun stuff. Wild Space. We have a history lesson. It's going to be fun. All right. (laughs) 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 Okay, thanks for joining us. Have a good night. So I've had some 
some Star Warsy good. I just actually I played Antique Star Wars Antique Roadshow with Scott McGregor next door. He just came back from a garage sale where he had bought boxes and boxes of Star Wars micro machines. He bought a whole bunch of them for forty dollars and was wondering if he got ripped off, which I do not think he did at all. One of them was the full. It's it's good size. It's a um, Millennium Falcon. Micro Machines? Uh, the Micro Machine playset of the Millennium Falcon. Wow. I'm not and, even sure you know, I mean, it was it's, such a thing. It's probably 12 inches in diameter. You know, it's it's good size. It's a good size. It's comparable to, like, the model kit of the Millennium Falcon. And he got that complete in the box. And then a whole bunch of other boxes full of spaceships. Three of them were these big box sets with nine I think it was like nine spaceships they were all die cast there was a beautiful sand crawler I love the way the sand crawler looked the die cast sand crawler has he but, put up um, any pictures of that stuff I'd like to see no that. he just got them they were just oh, I okay. mean this was just before actually I came in here and recorded it oh, okay. in the, he, they were coming out of his truck and into his house so uh that was that was a little nice Star Wars incident today but uh the best is I got more swag. <laughs> and I just want to say to the listeners, not to discourage you from sending me comics, but you know how I used to gripe about how Scott Gardner gets all the comics and Chris Honeywell don't get nothing? I think you guys have pretty much leveled the playing field now. Oh, yeah. I think the time has come that you can start you can start trickling off some comics to Scott Gardner, too. And uh, so, so he doesn't feel left out because, man, I've just been getting... I mean, but Ke- Kelly Logs has sent me four giant boxes full of comics i've gotten a lot of stuff from mark kambach and you know there's going to be people that um that i miss too but you know that but uh i just got a package and i think we talked about it maybe on comics monthly monday briefly but i hadn't gotten the package yet but i got um a package of star wars comics from kirk landry and uh oh my god well, one of them is the collected Star Wars Dark Empire. Yeah, he... Uh, I don't wow, have... Wow, that was fast, because he just contacted me about that recently, and he was like, I have these, you know, I'm going to get rid of them, do you want them type of thing. And I'm pretty sure that I have those they both in the original them. form, and I think I have the British reprints. And I wasn't sure that you had it or had no, ever read I the don't. story. Well, I knew you'd read the story, because we didn't... covered it. We did I a show know. on it not long mm-hmm. ago. Mm-hmm. But I was like, you know, why don't you offer those up to Chris first and see if he's interested? No, I'd, I'd read the CBRs of Dark Empire, but I didn't read the actual comic. So this is, a, this is a trade of Dark Empire. So that's awesome. But also he's got the single issues, one of six of Dark Empire 2, which I have not read. And another one, let me flip through them here, all bagged and boarded, I might add. Of Star Wars Empire's End. I was just going to say, yeah, that was actually a three-part story, yeah. So now you got the complete saga. You got the whole yes. story. Yes, I do. So, yeah, I'm going to have to read those and report back on uh, on Star Wars Monthly Monday, similarly to your book reports that you've been doing lately. Why not? We could uh, we could possibly cover those together. As a matter of fact, maybe we can assemble some of the old team. Because remember, we, uh, we got a bunch of people together and we did Dark Empire. A while back, I, God, I can't even remember who all we got for that. I, uh, I want to say Luke was in on that. I for think some Luke might have been. I think maybe Bertoni. I th- I forget. You, but, uh, you know, I think Bertoni was. Yeah, I, I I know Bertoni was when we did Splinter of the Mind's Eye. 
Right. For sure. Right. But yeah, I wouldn't mind uh, reading that story. Because it's been a long time. Because I, you know, the the first one I was always kind of lukewarm with. But as I recall, I think uh, I think I liked the latter two chapters a little bit better than I liked the uh, the original chapter. But like I say, it's been years since I've read it, and I only read it once. And uh, I I have to say, you know, with this reading project of mine, I'm actually starting to warm up to the EU a lot lately. I'm finding uh, I'm finding a lot of stuff to really enjoy in there. As a matter of fact, just today, um, while I was reading, I'm working on. The uh, the fourth book of Legacy of the Force, and there was a part where, you know, Luke and his wife they're talking about Lumia, and Luke's talking about you know the reasons why she has a grudge against him and all that, and his wife makes some offhanded comment about you know well I've given her reason to hate me too or something to that effect, and I'm like, what? You know what what I had no idea what she was talking about. That happened. So, yeah, exactly. When did that happen? So that's the only problem with the EU is that I'm finding there's been a lot of stuff. I mean, even beyond, like, the novels and the comics, there's just a lot of stuff that has happened that has become slowly incorporated into the overall canon of the EU. Some of it is, like, really obscure stuff, like like little articles and little mentions in, like, gamer books and magazines and stuff like that and that's what this turned out to be when i finally was able to track it down it was in an issue of i think it was star wars gamer magazine there was an article in there about the different people that have been um pawns of the emperor and it talked specifically about lumia and mara jade and then there was even a mention that the two of them had crossed paths at one point and i was like Wow, that's really cool. But this is the only place that it happened in this like offhanded mention because it was written as a like a gaming scenario that was later incorporated into canon. So there's nowhere to really go read the story or to see it enacted out. It, it's just this article, which is cool. I think it's really neat. But at the same rate, it's like, wow, who would know <laughs> that? You know, I mean, an article goes into canon. Yeah, exactly. You know, thank God for the for the Internet or you'd be completely lost. Exactly. How would you how would you track that one down? Yeah, no way. It's but, funny that you, you, you with your e, you with your EU talk just <laughs> reminded me of a funny nerd moment I had today. Where I realized how nerd talk has gone into the national language, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I was watching, um, and and it's it was a political story, but I'll I'll approach it with no pol- with no you know, no, not it, not about the politics of it, but that you just uh, was it yesterday? It was yesterday or the day before? It's going to be different because this is pre-recorded. But um, it's been in the news that uh, Senator um, Ted Cruz guy did his right. filibuster, right? And uh, you know, and he was it was it wasn't I guess it technically wasn't a filibuster; it was just a long speech. But you know, so he was bringing up whatever he could to keep the topics of. And it's funny because it reminds me a little bit of uh, the Patton Oswalt thing that that was going around from that Parks and Recreation show. Where all of a sudden he's talking about Star Wars. There was a little movie called franchise called Star Wars that my friends and I watched in the Empire and the Rebels and and all this. 
and I and I was just like, oh my god, this is funny. Star Wars is now. I mean, in the eighties it was too, because Reagan had his Star Wars plan, mm-hmm. which was obviously named after the movie. Uh, but uh, it what that wasn't what gave me my nerd moment. My nerd moment was the the news commentator who was reporting it on it was just like, well, I don't know about you know how much Ted Cruz knows about Star Wars. I mean, is he talking about is he talking about strictly the first three movies, or is he is he going to go into the EU when we're doing this? And I'm like, oh my god, somebody just on a news show basically <laughs> talked about just name dropped Star Wars EU, you know? That's Didn't awesome. say expanded universe, said EU, and I'm like, well, that guy's a nerd. <laughs> 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 They're everywhere. You've been everywhere. Outed. He, he outed himself. <laughs> expanded universe he should i mean if he wanted to remain but you know maybe he's proud but uh yeah if he wanted to remain anonymous he could have said in some of the you know new star wars books or something but i just love it when when something like that happens and you know and i know 99 percent of everybody watching that new show are going what does he mean star wars eu is there a new star wars movie called eu Empire like, University? Uh, what is that? I don't it might know. Maybe like Michelini when he thought we were going EU, you know, like like he smelled something bad, you know. <laughs> He'd never heard the term apparently. That's funny. That is funny. I love that when that happens though. <laughs> but I hear we got letters. We do. We do. You know what? Before we go into that, I want to go ahead and get this out of the way. I was just talking oh. about uh, Legacy of the Force, and like I say, yes, I am up to the fourth book, which means I have a book review for the third book. Yay! Ooh. So, Star Wars Legacy of the Force, this one was called Tempest. This was the uh, third book written by Troy Denning. I, I like can... is it Does it have the game in it? Does it have a sequence where oh, they're down be... a long tunnel? That would have been awesome. I wish they'd thought of that. No, it doesn't. Um... I do not have anything pre-written on this because I don't really have a lot to say. This was a very long book. It was 392 pages. Um, It was a whole lot of wheel spinning at first, and I was starting to think, "Uh uh-oh, am I going to have trouble? Because I really enjoyed the first book. It really got me hooked on the whole thing. I loved the second book. It was awesome with Boba Fett and all the stuff going on in that. I wasn't feeling it with this one for the longest stretch. It really felt like a whole lot of wheel spinning. There was a whole big thing involving um, Jason Solo's secret wife and daughter and all this stuff. And there was a whole lot of parallels with Revenge of the Sith. And it's not like it was bad. And it wasn't necessarily boring. I mean, really, the best way I could describe it, it was a lot of wheel spinning. It was like, okay, this feels like a placeholder... You know, just just to kind of keep the whole thing going while other authors maybe do their thing, but eventually it did get going and it started to ramp up and ramp up and ramp up. I highly recommend this one because of the way that it ended. It ends with Luke and his wife facing off with Lumia and having a kick-ass battle, and it so reminded me of Duel with a Dark Lady. Because a lot of the same types of things happen. Luke goes in very confident and kind of gets his ass handed to him. But it's it's not. There's no um, 
how do I want to put it? See, I don't want to be too spoilerific. There's no clear victor in this particular battle, but it's an awesome battle. It, it's got everything that I wanted in it. It's got Lumia just being, you know, really sinister, really pissed off. She's using her light whip again and all that stuff. And Luke, actually, there, there's so many references to Marvel Comics Star Wars that I was really geeking out about that. Right down to the fact that Luke digs, they call it, the, and I still don't know how to pronounce this, Shoto, I guess is how it's pronounced, S-H-O-T-O. It's what I always called Luke's light baton. He actually digs it out of storage. The one that he built for Just, Duel with a Dark Lady. He, he gets it out of storage and it, there's a whole explanation of why, you know, how he had this and why he had it and how he built it for that battle with Lumia years ago in the Marvel series. And so he digs it out of storage so that he's properly prepared to do battle with her again and he constructs another one to give to his wife so that she's got, you know, two lightsabers as well. I just thought that was awesome. I mean, that spoke right to me as a Marvel Comics Star Wars mm -hmm. fan and a fan of this character and her history. I mean, they really paid attention to this character's backstory and everything that made her cool in those comics. I thought that was really, really good. And I loved the way that this book ended. Like I say, a lot of wheel spinning. I wasn't feeling it at first, but it does finally start to move when it starts to move all of a sudden you feel like okay now it's ramping up and it ramps up and ramps up and ramps up to a really good ending where jason solo makes a very very fateful decision that's going to have implications well beyond this book and uh i'm about three quarters through um the next book the fourth book and digging it it's really good i'm i'm really enjoying the ride on this and where things are going and uh I love the way they're handling Lumia in this, and I love the fact that they're no longer really disguising the fact that Mara Jade and Shira Bree are kind of, you know, two different sides of the same coin, because Mara is essentially the same character. I, I, I don't know that, uh, what's his name that invented her, ever really made much, you know, try, made much effort to disguise the fact that he kind of borrowed you know, from that template to begin with. But it's mm -hmm. cool because with those two characters, you've got one that went one way and kind of embraced the light, and then the other one that went so far the other way and embraced the dark. But essentially they are, you know, two halves of the same coin. It's really neat. I, I love the way that this is going. So a lot of fun. I enjoyed it very much. That's my book report. <laughs> wow, that was that was short. That was short. So, well, I'm, I'm going to make it short because we have a ton of emails, and we have been so remiss, or I, I will say I have been so remiss on getting to the emails, but uh, finally, I'm going to make a concerted effort to get to some of these and knock them out. And the one that I want to start with first is one from Jonathan Kreitz, because Jonathan has repeatedly emailed me and messaged me, hey, dude, did you ever get that email that I sent to you? And I'm like, uh... All right, to give you a little backstory on this, you know, not long ago we uh, we changed up our website. You know, we went from uh, being a part of Libsyn to creating our own website, twotruefreaks.com. And as part of that website, we have our own dedicated email addresses on there for each one of the particular shows. The problem is nobody really remembers who set these up, 
or how it was supposed to work. So we've been having people emailing into these email addresses. And none of us know how to get it. And none of us knew how to get into it or that there even was anything in there. So Mike Voiles to the rescue once again, and he set up a forwarder to send us uh, these emails into our regular emails. So now we have access. The only problem I've experienced, I pulled these up today. And they're in like a text format that incorporates. So anytime somebody used like, say, like uh, parentheses or anything like that, it gives me this weird code. So uh-huh. reading a couple of these first ones may be a strange experience at first. I may stumble a bit, but I'll, I'll do my best to forge on through and, uh, and find the point in, uh, in these emails. Stumble so. through it, Hesh. Yeah, there you go. All right, so our first one, again, Jonathan Kreitz, and he uh, writes in about Star Wars Monthly Mondays number 51 and top threes for the final episode. Oh, no. He says, I sent this in hopes of getting it read in the final episode of Marvel Star Wars series, but it must have gotten overlooked in some way. Yes, yes, it did. I'm sorry, Jonathan. He said, no worries. You had plenty of correspondence to read, and it was a great capper to the Marvel series. I'm truly looking forward to what comes next for Star Wars Monthly Monday. Please let me know if you need any support or opinions regarding EU stuff in the future. And uh, I just want to step out for a minute. Jonathan and I have been in talks to uh, to have him on. I want to do a special episode talking about the EU in, in particular. I know he's really itching to talk about the future of the EU. What's going to happen when the new movies start to come out and that sort of thing? And uh, it's something I would very much like to talk about as well. So uh, we will uh, we will have him on, hopefully very very soon. As soon as we can get things all ironed out with schedules and that sort of thing. Jonathan continues. He says that is my bread and butter. Again, congratulations. Hopefully this makes it into Star Wars number fifty three. And he continues here in another email. It says first some congratulations, then my thoughts on episode fifty one and some of the top threes for the final episode. Oh, okay, I see what it is. He's copied. The one that we didn't originally receive. That's what this is. Okay. Uh, congrats on re- reaching the end of an era and the satisfaction of a job well done. I've enjoyed Star Wars Monthly Monday and look forward to it uh, on the first Monday of every month for a couple of years now. Having gone off the deep end of Star Wars fandom in the late 90s with the special editions in the Bantam novels, I've had uh, little knowledge of the Marvel series, and what, what I read on Force.net message boards was mostly negative. Mm-hmm. Thanks to your shows, I am now the proud owner of a complete set of a long time ago trades. That's excellent. Awesome. Says with the assistance uh, with an assist from Luke Jacanetti. He says, "Excellent." Says I can now appreciate uh, for being the foundation uh, for the EU uh, that followed after, and a treasure trove of uh, creative stories and a work by classic comics creators. Also, y'all's work on this series is what got me into your shows in general, and I now consider the TTF family of shows to be my personal favorite podcast out there. Oh, that's awesome. Excellent. (laughs) Thank you. We got one! So thanks again, and I look forward to what is to come. My email for episode 49 was fortuitously, uh, fortuitously rather, timed as I said I was uh, concerned about the quality control with the new Star Wars films, and y'all had been uh, talking about it quite a bit before you even got to the email portion of the show. I understand that having too much Star Wars is a good problem to have, and I am not a prequel hater in any way, shape, or form. I just also want Star Wars to uh, (laughs) ascend to its rightful pop culture prestige 
not descend to being just another overblown and bloated film franchise. Yeah, I agree with you there. He says, believe me, I understand the profit motive. Uh, I work for an oil company. He says, I just want there to be a good blend of profit uh, realization with great, not just good, Star Wars movies. I also am extremely excited about the prospect for these additional movies as they will be coming out uh, in prime years for my now two-and-a-half-year-old son. They will be his Star Wars, just like the original trilogy on VHS and the special editions in theater uh, were mine. And I just want the best. What to do with the Star Wars Monthly Monday Post Marvel Star Wars number 107? We've discussed it on Facebook in the forum, and I think your initial plan is a good one. Clean up all the extraneous Marvel material before diving into coverage of stuff from Dark Horse. To me, starting with the new Star Wars ongoing from Dark Horse is inspired because it looks to be of a high quality and it covers the same time frame that the Marvel books did. I also think jumping around Dark Horse's back catalog would be great. Or could be, he says, could be great. And allow y'all to keep things fresh. And he has a number of top three suggestions here. And honestly, Jonathan, this is the first time I'm seeing this today. So I think what we'll do, let's go ahead, we'll look at what they are, and then maybe we can actually compile some answers for next episode. Does that sound doable? (laughs) Because I don't know that I'll be able to do any of these off the top of my head. Some of them we may have covered already. He's got, let's see. Uh, top three. Well, let's see. Episode. Let's see what we can knock out. Let's. It'll be fun right. to see if we can do it. We did it last time. All right. He <laughs> says top three Chewyisms. I know Gronk's on there. He says example Gronk. Yeah, Gronk has got to be number uh, one because that was. Well, I don't know. Nurk is Nurk. Got Nurk. I love that. <laughs> I've actually got that on, as my cover on Facebook now. I Are like you... anyone that ends in a question mark. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. Isn't there one like, like it was something like Nerf or something like there that? There was a Nerf one. Yeah, I think there was. <laughs> I think it was just like N R R R F. But <laughs> top three overall moments. I th- I think we covered something like that, didn't we? Like our top favorite moments of the. We, we had stuff like that. I know. Um, I know. Valance the Cyborg Hunter came up in there. Mm-hmm. I know the reappearance of Darth Vader came up in there. I know the uh, the. Shira Bry, you know, yep. the original Shira Bry story came up in there. Lumia came up in there. Yep. Top three cliffhangers. I know that was one because I remember discussing at length, you know, Luke Skywalker, I've come for you, and Luke finding out that he'd killed his girlfriend and, you know, all that. So I know we discussed cliffhangers. There's also the one where, Lu- where Lando gets thrown off a of Cloud City. That's a great That's always a great one. Yeah. <laughs> Top three storylines, I'm pretty sure we did that. Top three covers, yeah, because I remember I had way more than three covers. Oh, yeah. I couldn't narrow it down. Mariah. Yeah. Like springs to mind. Yep, number 25. Uh, Top three artists, I know we did that. Top three writers, I know we did. Here's a good one I know that we did not do. Top three screw-ups. Top three screw-ups is a really good one. Oh, geez, well, I think number one is is on the – that post Hoth story. Oh with, yes, with Wedge. With Wedge. Yep, that's a good we're, one. They're not sure who Wedge and Biggs were. That's probably you know what off the top of my head that'd probably be my number one because the two others that came immediately to mind aren't as big a deal as that. There's the one in issue. I think it's issue one. Is it issue with one? Uncle Ben? No, no, no. It's yeah, exactly. I think it's issue two actually, where uh, where Luke calls Uncle Owen Uncle Ben. I've always mm-hmm. loved that one. 
And then um, I don't know if it's a screw up necessarily, <laughs> but it's always bugged me that they never explained it. Luke mysteriously having a lightsaber again after the Empire Strikes Back. Mm-hmm. They never explained it, and that I, I would consider that something of a screw up. I think we needed an explanation for where it came from. And I don't know that there ever was one given. I mean, I'm able to no-prize it now. We no-prized it with the annual. I mean, there are a couple of different ways you could probably no-prize it, but they never officially no-prized it, and that bugs me. I wish yeah. that they had. So, What was the annual where... Was it annual one where it ended with uh, Vader and Anakin being on the same statue? Like they had come yes. to that planet? Yeah. Yeah, that one was a mess. Yeah. I don't know necessarily a screw up, but you know, of course, later continuity would directly contradict it. So, but yeah, all right. So I think we did that off the top yeah. of our heads. All right, was that hard? That wasn't that bad. All right, the next one here is from. Oh, this is from Mark Comback. All right, all right. This one is entitled "Verily, Tis Not Spam." Really, it's not. <laughs> I like that. I'll be the judge of that. He says, "My first... TTF email, a pause for gravitas and grandeur. He said, should they deign to show up? They're often late. Sometimes they're like, uh, they like to sleep in. Sometimes they don't uh, get out of bed at all. I assume you are still in need of email. Yes, yes we are. He says, dear Mr. Gardner, he just completely dismisses you altogether. Ah, so I wish I could do something. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I didn't say that out loud, did I? Uh, he says, just listen to the latest Star Wars slash Indiana Jones episode. It's okay. He sends me comics, though. So <laughs> oh, I'll burn. trade off comics for emails any day. Oh, burn. He says, just listen to the latest Star Wars slash Indiana Jones episode last night. It's actually rare for me, as I usually don't listen to anything in this particular subseries except for the Indiana Jones bit toward the end. And that only lately as I caught up on the Indiana Jones issue coverage. Okay, is he saying he doesn't regularly listen to Star Wars Monthly Monday? Is that what I'm gathering out of this? Hopefully we're trapping him in now with the with the promise of Indy and he's stuck with these shows. I <laughs> hope so. I hope so. This says, was most interesting uh, in the opening segments. i got to say, I'm quite excited to hear you might at last get to visit Disneyland. I hope you love it. It's needless to say, great. Park anniversary years can be especially neat. The last two times uh, I went to the park were 2000 and 2005. During the 50th, uh, you would have loved the Disney Gallery exhibits that year. It was freaking amazing beyond geek words. Uh, I must admit, I'm very excited to hear uh, what you have to say about the park later on in some form of show. Oh, absolutely. If I, if I get to go, absolutely. So what, from what I've seen of the Walt Disney World Resort in articles, and especially your photos, thanks again for sharing, by the way, since I know that it is many, many year, uh, many, many times rather larger than the Disneyland Resort. Maybe it'll end up feeling like uh, transitioning from one of those massive celebrity motorhomes to a really funny clown car. <laughs> it still has uh, Toad, after all. Yeah, Mr. Toad's Wild Ride still out in Disneyland. And uh, I would very much like to see that. Says, but I'm still uh, going to be waiting for your eventual report slash whatever, uh, should things indeed work out for you. Well, again, I, I hope that they do. So it's all, uh, almost like I used to wait for upcoming theatrical releases. Remember when seeing a trailer made you excited to see a movie? Yes, yes, I do. 
So, but that's a rant I'm not going to get into. Uh, don't want to end this on a sour note. No, not at all. As a matter of fact, uh, I've been seeing a lot of movie trailers lately that I'm really, really excited about. Uh, Thor 2 being, uh, being a big mm-hmm. movie. I'm really psyched about that. Says if you dine at the Blue Bayou and you must at least once, uh, please eat a Monte Cristo or two for me. Says uh, lest I forget, number fifty-four was a good episode. To partially quote uh, Mister Mister Honeywell. No, he says Mister Moore. I think he says, but oh. aren't they all? Oh, okay, I get what he's saying. He's he's quoting Alan Moore. Oh, he says, and that Chris guy performed quite adequately. Thanks oh. again for the entertainment. That's Martin. what she said. <laughs> Glowing praise. That's what your mom said, Mark. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. On to the next one. This one, I think this is a new uh, a new uh, writer into the show here. Scott Lynch. Have we heard from Scott Lynch? I don't before? think we have before. If we have, I'm sorry. Oh, I know what this one is too. This is this is the one he he sent me this, and then almost immediately was like, "Dude, are you going to answer my question?" I'm like, "Jesus, dude, calm down, calm down. We'll get to it." So here we are. We're getting to it. Uh, so anyway, this is a Star Wars Marvel Comics question. I like this one a lot. I think this uh, I think this will inspire some good conversation. He says, hi, I've only been listening to your podcast for a little while, and I haven't been able to go back and listen to all the archive. Well, it is a massive archive. He says, I'm get 46 cracking. years old. So he's just oh, a little you better older than us. Quickly, then. <laughs> 46 years old and read and collected the Star Wars comics from the time of The Empire Strikes Back, and then went back and bought the previous issues. I did want to ask one of you this question, and it will probably come as the only person to say this, Offending comic fans everywhere. Now, you have already gone through the artists as they came and went, so I have missed your opinions on each of them, but I personally loathe the art of Carmine Infantino, no matter what he's drawing. Steve Ditko, who can't draw at all, but he thankfully did not draw any Star Wars, I do not think. No, I don't think he did. And it has always been my opinion that Cynthia Martin single-handedly got the Star Wars comic canceled with her horrid art. Now, this is coming after the incredibly detailed and meticulous artwork of Simonson and Palmer. To me, these two artists alone made the comic look, feel, and read like the films, especially since the uh, art is near photorealistic. What I cannot understand is almost everyone I talk to thinks these artists, especially the first two, are quote-unquote classic artists and around the best of that time. This I can't understand. I've spent many hours laughing slash scoffing slash sneering at Infantino's rendition of the Star Wars comic, which was so bad. How can you sneer at those boobs, man? (laughs) I defy you. (laughs) Which was so bad that it could have been any space opera. He can't draw the equipment. The ships are all mutated. He's got uh, TIE fighters firing laser slash blaster fire out of the front windows for crying out loud. I can't argue with him. No, I I can't either. I had to wonder if he's seen the films at all besides a cursory glance. As for Cynthia Martin, her quote-unquote art is so cartoony (laughs) that it would have been better suited to the children's uh, droids comics a la Star Wars, uh, excuse me, a la Marvel Star Comics uh, line of the day. So my question, or even discussion, is this. Why do many comics fans and Star Wars uh, Marvel-run comics fans 
think these two or three artists, uh, posers, are so wonderful. To me, they are hideous. But I get nothing but arguments everywhere I bring this up. Do I need glasses? I suppose you can. Uh, I suppose you can only answer for yourself. But I'd like to hear something on this. Even one of your podcast members, not sure which, said he didn't like Martin's art until he quote unquote got older or quote unquote grew up or something like that. Can you explain this? Much thanks sure. in advance, Scott Lynch. Shall uh, I take this? Absolutely. Yeah. Go ahead. At the beginning. First of all, I re- I, I'm not gonna. I'm. I'm. I'm going to have to put little pins in all over the place because I. I can't agree with the original. You know, if I say, "Well, the reason that blah blah blah," I'm I'm agreeing that they're posers, which I don't think those artists are posers. But that being said, I think the thing about it is we're talking about, uh, you know, stylism, and um, I pretty much realize that Carmen Inf- Carmine Infantino probably didn't want to go to the Star... I don't want to go to them goddamn Star Wars movies, you know? He was probably already an older guy, and, like... Oh, yeah. He was, interested- he was interested in doing his job. And to that, he did the best he could. So now... And, and as a kid, some of the Infantino stuff... I remember Scott and I would make fun of, like, the way he drew mouths and stuff. But as I get older and I notice art and comics becomes quote unquote more realistic and better yet less stylized, or if it is stylized, it's, you know, one of three or four different styles that I started appreciating the, the Carmine Infantinos who have, he has, there's a way his art looks. So when I read those star Wars comics, comics i'm also appreciating that i'm seeing star wars through carmine infantino's lens mm-hmm. and and whoever the writer's lens is too the combination of that and i take it as such it's the, it's you know it's as much marvel comics as it is star wars to me so when you see some classic even if it's a mismatch it's interesting to see that combination and i agree that when you had the the, you know, I like to think of it as a Tom Palmer era, era where you had different pencilers, but Tom Palmer, sort of dictating the style, that that's where it felt the most Star Warsy and the less Marvel comicsy. But I like how it's it, it is, by defin by its own name a Marvel comic. So I like the stuff that's Marvel comicy, and I like the stuff that's Star Warsy. And I like the stuff that's a little bit of both. And uh, Cynthia Martin, I think, was... I don't agree that she... I agree that she was cartoony, but I think she was way ahead of her time. And, I mean, even then, when it came out... It, and, you know, you and I were very opinionated on, you know, our comics. If we didn't like something, we jumped on it. And we were both just taken by her art mm-hmm. at that point. So... I don't know. It's a matter of taste, I guess. I don't know. I, I, he, he didn't preface it, preface it also to tell us how old he was. So, you know, forty six. If he did, he oh, forty six. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. So, I'm assuming if you didn't get older, if you didn't like it then, and now you got older, and you still don't like it, it's nothing that you got to get. You just don't like it. <laughs> You're not gonna like it probably, which there's nothing wrong with that, but. 
don't uh, knock yourself out. I, I hate the whole, like, and I pull, everybody pulls it, like, oh, they don't get it, or they don't get it, but the, the, I hate when it's used in the context of liking or not liking something. So it's like, all right, so you don't like it? Well, obviously you don't get it, you know. Maybe someday you'll get it, but that whole thing of, like, you're missing out or something, yeah, you're not that, missing out. You just don't like it. So When it comes to art, don't like I, don't I, like. yeah, I find that to be almost an insulting attitude because art is, you know, completely subjective. You know, it, it, it truly is in the eye of the beholder. So, you know, if you don't like it, I mean, I wouldn't spend a lot of time trying to trying to understand why you don't. There's just something in your brain Move that's, on. Yeah. You know, yeah, exactly. I mean, I can only tell you from my own perspective what I see in it. I, I'm in much the same boat, believe it or not. I like Carmine Infantino's Star Wars, but I will freely admit, I mean, I think I said this in our very first Star Wars Monthly Monday, that I, I think I prefaced it with saying, I fully understand that I'm looking at this through nostalgic child eyes, and so mm-hmm. I forgive a lot of Infantino-isms. The things that drive me nuts when I look in his art in any other book, like, say, The Flash is a perfect example. I could never stand him on The Flash. There's a lot of other projects he did where I look at his art and just go, bleh. Mm-hmm. But because I grew up with him as the Marvel Star Wars artist, I look at that, and that, to me, is Star Wars. So I, I, can't, I can't separate the two. I look at his early work on that title and it just it feels like star wars to me and and it's really hard for me to explain it's it's hard for me to to defend because i just i like it yeah i mean as a matter of fact the next uh, couple of chapters of um the omnibus after this one that we're going to talk about today are infantino chapters i can't wait i love that stuff i'm looking at this stuff reprinted in glorious black and white and i'm just loving it i'm like Mm -hmm. wow this I mean, it's just like stepping back to my childhood. I really, really dig it. But I can see all the flaws in it, too. And I definitely see what other people will look at in there and just go, really, you like that? Well, I I can see that. I can understand exactly where they're coming from. it's, It's nostalgia talking. It's my childhood talking. But I do like it. The Cynthia Martin stuff, I can understand that, too. I really can. When we first started to cover the issues that she had done and, you know, here you, you know, Chris and I were looking at him for the first time in, you know, 30 years at first I was like, wow, this is awesome. Swept right back up in it again. But as we got closer to the end of the series, I'm wondering if, yeah, I'm wondering if maybe that's where the criticism of her as, as the star Wars artist mostly comes from, because I don't know if it was her. I don't know if it was the inker. I don't know if it was something going on behind the scenes. What? But the art did get very sloppy toward the end of that book, and I, I didn't think like towards it. the end. The whole, you know, I think it was just going into free fall at the end, yeah. and everything suffered. Yeah. And, and the coloring. I definitely really don't weird. agree that it was Cynthia Martin's art that brought down Star Wars. Marvel no, no, so. no. The the thing that that brought down Marvel Comics Star Wars was Lucasfilm. Lucasfilm is what what. Killed yeah. Star Wars in the comics uh, back in the eighties, uh, but no, it definitely was not her. Now, did that change of art style maybe cause some readers to jump ship? Eh, could be. I mean, I remember hearing complaints at the time, but at the same rate, I know that there were just as many people that really dug that that new art style and that new direction with the art and the story as didn't. 
So mm-hmm. I, I would not put it on her at all because at the time I really liked her stuff. Looking back on it now, I think it's dynamic. I, I yep. the, the issue where uh, Lumia and Luke fight, you know that that's one of the best issue arc. Yeah, it's yeah. great. It's one of the best arcs of the entire series, and I I will include the art in that. I think the art is fantastic because it feels like a movie. It it you look at it and it's very yes. very cinematic. Post that. Yeah, not so much. I mean, there's there's a couple issues here and there where the art's still pretty good. But after those issues, that, that three-issue arc, it's like, what is it, like 94, 95, 96, something like that? Yeah. After that, was- I do think the art does kind of steadily taper off right through the end of the series, unfortunately. Well- it, it seems to me that maybe at the beginning, when she first started doing it, she said, Oh my God, I'm doing the Star Wars comic. This is going to be great. And I'm going to put a lot of effort into laying this out and and making this work. And then as it went on, and then the stories were getting goofier too. And it was probably, she was probably like, this is, you know, this is on its way out. Why am I going to spend all this time doing gorgeous art, you know, when, you know, and probably was just like, I got to get through this assignment. I don't want to put words into her mouth, but that's what it sort of had the feel of, you know, it just... It was losing energy. The whole project was losing it. And like you said, Lucasfilm was sucking the energy right out of it. Mm-hmm. And that was going for The stories were lacking. The art was lacking. You know, the, the, it was put out as often. You know, it just chipped away one thing at a time. Mm-hmm. We got a couple more quick emails here. And then we'll get on right. with the main part of the show. Got one entitled, All Caught Up. He says, hey, freaks, I'm pleased to announce that after three and a half years, I'm (laughs) finally current with the Two True Freaks podcast. Oh, my God. He says, I found your show in early 2010, but after listening to an episode, I decided to start from the beginning. After listening to one episode? Dude, you got to write in and let us know what episode this is. Uh, Yeah, yeah. I'm uh, very curious. That must have been a good one. Holy cow. (laughs) says, it's been a long but enjoyable journey. I listen to many podcasts, but after a while, I usually get bored and drop them and look for something new. Two True Freaks is the only one I have stayed with for this long. I have relived all my childhood memories through your podcast, such as Marvel Star Wars. The first comic I bought on my own was Star Wars number 70. Ooh, that's the Stenic Shuffle, isn't it? I couldn't tell you just from the number. I think it is. He says, although my parents gave me Star Wars 1 through 10 soon after the movie was released. Star Wars, the original series, I have watched them as you uh, covered them, even though uh, I know them all by heart. Oh, that's awesome. So Star Trek The Next Generation. Uh, Don't know it as well as TOS, but I'm enjoying watching it again. And comics in general. I read many Marvel series during the 80s, but my favorite was Burns' Fantastic Four run. There you go. We need to cover that one of these days. He says, I have also tried comics uh, I would have avoided had it not been for your show, most notably The Walking Dead. I've been buying the hardback collections as you cover them, so thanks for that. I could go on about all the things I like about your podcast, but I'll just mention my favorites. The background score. It separates your podcast from all the others I listen to, even the professional ones. By that, I mean people who get paid by their boss to podcast. Anyway, I look forward to listening to episodes as they are posted. Thanks for keeping me company while I cook, fold laundry, mow the yard, grade papers, and uh, run on the treadmill. 
Time to get reacquainted with the wife and kids. And that's from John Lovett. That's awesome. I love that email. Thank you John so much, Lovett's John. Saturday Night Live? <laughs> Not Lovett's. Lovett's. Oh. That's awesome. Thank you, John. I really like that one. Thank you so much. I know what you mean about getting reacquainted with the wife and kids. <laughs> Losing touch while we're recording these things. So I'm glad that you, uh, that you enjoy them. Last one. We're going to hear one more time from Scott Lynch. I like this. He says, Star Wars Monthly Monday, an idea. He says, hi, guys. I had thought uh, I had thought of an episode, uh, but it may or may not really fit into Star Wars exactly. I think you fellows, from what I've been able to figure out, are the same age as myself, but perhaps only a year younger. Yes, you are yep. correct. You are. Got it. So, so you would uh, remember things like films and toy spinoffs and fan bases from a long time ago in our own galaxy. Here's the idea. How about an episode entitled Before Star Wars? What I mean is, most Ooh. folks I know who yeah. are not older than me uh, do not ever know a time in science fiction that existed before Star Wars. I'm thinking of all the movies that did the same thing that Star Wars does now, with the excitement, sequels, toys, swag, etc., such as Logan's Run, 2001, Space 1999, and of course, Planet of the Apes. Until Star Wars uh, knocked it off its pedestal, Planet of the Apes was the big franchise, and it never did recover uh, its former glory in the annals of film. I love Star Wars as much as you fellas, but I get annoyed with younger fans who haven't even heard of the above. Believe me, I've had this conversation with some of my friends who are only in their late 20s or early 30s. Anyway, I could go on, but I think you get the point. Naturally, you wouldn't be talking about Star Wars per se, but I think you could tie them together very well by comparison. Just a thought, Scott Lynch. He says, P.S., I still think Infantino and Martin are terrible artists. <laughs> Good for you, man. Uh, I like this idea, except um, we've done a lot of it. We have done yeah. here and there yeah. and, 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 and all that. But I would say to him, put a little pin in that uh, Planet of the Apes. Uh, uh, that's what I was just going to say. Yeah. We uh, we have been in talks. It probably won't happen until next year, but I know that we are planning a massive, massive series of shows for Planet of the Apes. We're probably going to do Planet of the Apes Month, very much like how we did Kong Month a while back, where we covered mm -hmm. the various incarnations like of King whole Kong. Months on month, yeah, monthly months. Yeah, because you know, with Planet of the Apes, I mean, there's there's what there's the five original films. There was two television series. There was that awful, god awful remake with um, what's Marky his name? Mark. Yeah, and then of course, Rise of the Planet of the Apes, and then the next film comes out next year as well. So we want to do that with Two True Freaks proper. You know, take take four or five weeks and cover all of the various incarnations of apes, including like the toys and stuff too. I would love to talk about that stuff. And then over on Back to the Bins, we're going to parallel all those shows by covering the various incarnations of the apes in comic book form. Because there have been Marvel. multiple. Yeah, there's Marvel. There was one uh, Marvel had a magazine comics. and uh, yeah, the magazine comic. Yeah, exactly. So you know, it, it has been 
uh, Apes has been around in, in several different companies and di- several different formats in the comics, uh, you know, over the years. So, and, and I've read most all of it. So I'm really looking forward to that. It just comes down to a matter of, you know, fitting it in the schedule and making it happen. But I know that uh, you and I are it's looking forward to it. Eventually. Yeah. And uh, Paul, you know, our buddy Paul Spataro over on Back to the Bins is really looking forward to that because he's a huge Apes fan as well. So, yeah, I would definitely look for Planet of the Apes. Um, like I say, always. probably next, sometimes next year. Um, Logan's Run, I know that we did an episode for it. I don't think it was a commentary, but again, I wouldn't mind revisiting that at some point as well and maybe doing a commentary or something because I love <laughs> Logan's Run. I've got a kid named after the movie, yep, so there you go. It's a something right there. Absolutely, but I still, you know, that I, I don't want to be dismissive of your idea because I really like that idea. I, I do think that an idea of a, of a show, you know, an episode called "Before Star Wars," I think that's a hell of a good idea because there were some great franchises before Star Wars came along. So yeah, but uh, yeah, if you if you dig back through our history, you will uh, you'll see where we have already touched on a good number mm-hmm. of these. Whether they had their own full episode or you know whether it was you know in passing remarks <laughs> type of passing, thing, yeah. But uh, excellent. Thanks for writing in, Scott. Keep writing in because uh, I really like your emails. But that's it. We are caught up on emails for now. Thanks everybody for writing in. Keep those uh, cards and letters coming. I want to start being a little more faithful and regular with the email section if we can. So do you want to take a little break and then come back with the uh, the main event? I say that's what we do. All right, that sounds good. We shall return. Trentus Magnus punches reality. Movies, comics, and TV shows. Listen as Trentus Magnus punches reality. Magnus.Libson.com You've decided to go to a nearby restaurant. You ask the hostess to seat you in a booth. As you sit, you notice an animated conversation among the four seated behind you. They're talking about Star Wars and Doctor Who and something called the Laugh Olympics. These are the people you used to pants in high school. And yet, you cannot help listening. Unable to tear your ears away, you realize you've just been sucked into the Dinner for Geeks. Dinner for Geeks, weekly at twotruefreaks.com. Hello and welcome back to Star Wars Monthly Monday number 56. And we're in the main meat of the show, meat and potatoes. And before we get into the comic we're going to do, Scott Gardner is going has a little history lesson. He's been doing some book reading. Duh. <laughs> Usually he just chews on them. This time we got him to read them. Just gums them a little bit. So yes, I want to kind of give you the backstory on the uh, on the story that we're about to cover. So the storyline that has come to be known collectively as the Kingdom of Ice 
began in Marvel's Pizzazz magazine starting way back in July of 1978 uh, with an issue that sported a cover. Uh, it was a photo cover of the Bee Gees <laughs> starring in the abysmal Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts mm-hmm. Club band I have that. Film. I have that issue somewhere around Do you here. really? I, I own that somewhere. I, I got it at a garage sale last year. I don't know exactly where it is right now, but Dude. I have that. You need to dig it out. This is the only issue of Pizzazz that I actually have in paper form. I've had it since I was a kid. This is the first chapter. So, you know, the first page is that awesome, awesome panel of Mm -hmm. uh, Simonson's rebel ship coming in and it's flying sideways. I just love that picture. It's great. Anyway, we'll talk about that in a moment when we get into the uh, issue itself. So the story ran in three-page chapters from issue 10 until Pizzazz's cancellation with issue number 16. When Pizzazz folded, there were still two unpublished chapters left to the story. So those two chapters would eventually see print overseas in April of 1979 with issue number 60 of uh, Marvel's UK Star Wars title. Now, they had already reprinted Pizzazz 10 through 16 in the previous three issues of that Marvel UK Star Wars title. Uh, although they did it in black and white, not color. And so telling the uh, complete story from start to finish for the first time with the publication of issue 60. A little over two and a half years later, American audiences would get to see the end of the story too in the paperback-sized Marvel Comics illustrated version of Star Wars. This is the November 1981 edition. There's actually two books that have that same title. One of them is that one that we have, Chris, the black and white one. It's like paperback size. It's all black. Uh-huh. It's that and classic it- shot of Luke with his lightsaber held over his head and Leia's kneeling yep. at his at his feet. That's actually got the same name, Marvel Comics Illustrated Version of Star Wars, but that's, of course, you know, reprinting the movie. This was the later edition, which was reprints of these stories, uh, the Marvel UK stories. Now, strangely, that book did not reprint the entire story. There's uh, just this simple one-page recap of the events from Pizzazz 10 through 16 on page 141. It uses a single page, uh, single panel rather, of artwork to basically tell the whole story in a couple of text boxes, just to kind of fill the reader in on what had happened so far. And then the the rest of that book reprints Marvel UK Star Wars number 60. So. It did finally get print over here, but doesn't give you the pizzazz chapters for context. So it's really strange, the publication history of this story. So in that book, of course, it was in that weird split panel, cut and paste type of format that those Marvel Illustrated books were notorious for. But at least this time it was in color. So it's more than a little strange that this Wild Space Omnibus begins the Kingdom of Ice story with a picture that's the cover of Marvel UK Star Wars number 60 because that's the cover just to the last chapter of the story so logically it should be on page like 58 in the book and it's not, it's at the beginning of the story and then stranger still is the decision to reprint that final chapter in black and white now it did appear in black and white in Marvel UK Star Wars number 60 but it had been colorized for the illustrated comics version. So it's really weird with this particular story. I can understand that they didn't want to reprint or they weren't able to reprint the pizzazz covers 
in the omnibus, you know, because it features a lot of covers of actors or characters or properties that either aren't directly related to Star Wars or Marvel or aren't even owned by those companies. You know, like Superman is on the cover of number 16, for example. Yeah, they might have to acquire rights to, like, weird things like the Bee Gees and stuff. <laughs> right, yeah. want to do that, yeah. You know, but this story had already appeared in color, and all the previous chapters are in color as well. They're reprinted that way. So why not reprint this last chapter in color, too? And I, I can only assume it's because it was in that different format in the Marvel Illustrated books. Again, you know, that, that split panel format, you know, where they kind of would break up the panels. and You know what I'm talking about? How, how yeah, they, where they yeah. have to squash it into a different format. Yeah. And so not every little single bit of every single panel was colored in completely. But still, I would think that you'd be able to to use that as like a guide to be able to finish it. You know what I mean? And, and make it all color. But I don't know. It's just a minor quibble. But it's just weird when you read this story and the first however many chapters are all in this gorgeous color. And then you get to the final chapter and it's all in black and white. It's really kind of odd. But It's like your TV is malfunctioning. Yeah, exactly. But that's all I got as far as your history lesson. Hopefully that made some sort of sense. Did you want to talk about uh, some of the covers? Yeah, I'd love to. I love the covers here because, you know, of course, we talked about the Bee Gees cover for number 10. I, I get a kick out of that when it's just a hoot because that movie's terrible. And, you know, as many years oh. as I've had this, I've never noticed that the, the top of that bandstand is a giant burger. Hamburger? No, I always notice that. I never yeah. even noticed that before. That's weird. I don't know why it is, <laughs> but it is. You got Grease on the cover of uh, whatever. This must be number 12. I hate that. No, I am a fan of, of Grease. I like that movie. I like really? the soundtrack too. Oh, yeah. The movie is is just... Now, the movie, I, d I liked the soundtrack when I was a kid, and I was sorely disappointed when I finally saw the movie on HBO. But as I've grown older, I've come to appreciate the movie, and I, f I find the movie classic. Huh. Okay. <laughs> as far as music, I don't like musicals. That's one musical I could watch. It's got some great acting in it. Some John Travolta's hilarious in it by playing it straight. It's it's cheesy too. It's just yeah. I love the uh, the cover number thirteen. That split image cover. It's made to imitate Time magazine. Yes, where it's got uh, Lou Frigno and Bill Bixby from the Hulk. That is just great. Bixby's got the white eyes. That's just cool. Yeah, Meatloaf on the cover. And then Meatloaf on the next 14. one. Oh, my God. Now, here you go. Here's a reason why they wouldn't be able to, to reprint these covers right here. So Star Wars, you know, covering Star Wars in the omnibus. Can you imagine if they had reprinted the covers? The cover to number 15 is Battlestar Galactica, the old mm -hmm. TV show. That's that's just cool. Well, when we get into the analysis analysis of this we can um there's some good uh a good connection with battlestar galactica in this story that's true that's very true now i like the covers when this was reprinted in uh in star wars weekly the the marvel UK yeah. title you know 57 which covered the first several chapters was a photo cover of a stormtrooper on a dewback this was a very rare picture back in the day i only remember seeing this in a couple of places 
That's great. The sand trooper on the dewback. And then uh, 58 is one of my favorite images is the, the stormtroopers in the of all time. Back. Yeah. That's iconic. A yeah. Great, great shot. Another photo cover. 59. Now, I actually have this one. I'm pretty sure I got this one from our buddy Scott Rifen because uh, he's been collecting these. He heard us talking about these on Star Wars Monthly Monday, these Marvel UK titles of Star Wars, and he set out to uh, to build a collection. And when we first started hanging out and meeting up at Disney and stuff, he came down one time and he brought me a ton of doubles from you know the issues that he'd acquired because he just buys them in bulk on eBay. And he had all these doubles and he just gave them to me. And so I'm pretty sure this is where I got this particular issue. This is the only chapter of the story I have in this format, but it's great. 59 has a cover on it by uh, Infantino and McLeod. It's really cool. It's uh, Luke, and he's wearing a purple parka. He's got his lightsaber ignited, and it's red, red blade. Yeah. And then he and 3PO and R2 are all falling into like this ice chasm. I actually like this cover quite a bit. The next one's funny because it's almost like a spy novel cover. Yeah, no, this is the one that's reprinted. This is the only one that's reprinted in the Omnibus. But, uh, yeah, God, how do you even describe this? It, it is, it's like Space Nick Fury or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is, uh, I found credits on this somewhere. This is um, Frank Springer signed it. So it's definitely Springer. And then the the uh, art, the um, inker with a question mark, it says Bob Wyasek. So I guess they're not exactly sure that it's him. I forget where I found this information from, but... Yeah, I like it. It's an interesting cover. It's got Luke, and he looks more like he's holding like a Luger or something than he does a space pistol, but he's holding a, a gun and, and has a very like Nick Fury type of pose. You've got a guy on a flying surfboard <laughs> shooting at... Is that supposed to be Luke? I I think it's supposed to be Luke. I think that's where Luke attacks Princess Leia and the Imperial. Oh, okay, yeah. But it it, it looks like I don't know. It looks like a like a rock star wearing like a Santa Claus outfit. <laughs> it's, it's weird. It's like it's, a spy novel meets Flash Gordon. Yeah, a little cheesecake with Princess Leia and her Santa Claus outfit. She's got the low cut Santa outfit. Yeah, too. she's got the Star Trek length yeah. mini skirt. Yeah, it's not a bad cover though. It's just bizarre, but it's not bad. But yeah, I like these. Not the most Star Wars-y Star Wars cover ever, but yeah. Well, as as events go along, uh, there's parts of this where I feel like the story's not the most Star Wars-y story. Mm-hmm. It's just start, well, it starts out that way. But uh, why don't you go ahead and give the folks your synopsis. Are we ready for that? Yeah, are why not? Are we ready for that? Are we ready for that? Yes, we are. All right, we got your Star Wars, the Kingdom of Ice. <laughs> um... Uh, the credits, I'm sort of going to give a little gloppy credit because the, there's all different people on this. But it starts out, it, all through it, it's Archie Goodwin as a writer. Woohoo! Starts out, even more, in more woohoo, uh, Walt Simonson and Klaus Jansen oh, as yeah. the artists. And then it switches into Dave Cockrum and John Tartaglioni. What? And um, on colors, we have Marie Severin, Nell Yamto. Yamtov? Yamtov. In the black and white one, we have Howard Bender, who's the tonist. Um, in lettering, we've got three letters. Jim Novak, Rick Parker, and uh, Denise Wohl. All right. 
So, Star Wars, The Kingdom of Ice, or Out of the Frying Pan, Into the Freezer. Um, <laughs> Luke, Leia, and the droids move on to the snow planet of Arcuria 2 to meet with a potential rebel ally, Colonel Odan. Unfortunately, they are met by TIE fighters who shoot them down, but a mysterious gun on the ground shoots down the TIE fighter, and the droids go to investigate the wreck of the Imperial ship, and they find it unmanned. But, before they can inform Luke and Leia, they are grabbed by a group of albino abominable snow wookies. <laughs> and, uh, the same creatures uh, show up and uh, surround Luke and Leia, but they're then run off by a large battle sled commanded by Colonel Odin, who welcomes the two and plans to question them extensively about the Alliance before he decides to join. Meanwhile, the droids are taken to a snow cave where they meet the actual real Colonel Odan, who has had his sled stolen by Imperials, who are posing as him to trap Luke and Leia. Back on the sled, Luke and Leia have pretty much put together that shot-up sled plus lack of secret code works equals Odan is a fake. But it's too late! The Imperials take Leah and strap Luke into a chair on the bridge of the sled, which they send hurtling towards the Geyser Sea, which does not sound good at all. <laughs> so, uh, the droids accompany Odan to the sled, where they rescue Luke and escape on power skis, just in the nick of time. So as night falls, the conditions outside turn deadly, and Luke and Odan, not having a tauntaun to cut into decide to seek shelter in the hole of an quote-unquote nearly extinct giant snowworm. They follow the tunnel until R2's heat sensors say they are under the Imperial transport that has Leia. Unfortunately, the angry, very not-extinct snowworm is barreling towards them. They are able to use their ski jets and the exhaust, I guess, to turn the creature away and it breaks the surface and smashes up the Imperials real good. <laughs> Luke and Odan pursue the Imperial uh, commander and Leia as he tries to escape. A well-placed kick by Leia sends his uh, ion missiles askew, and then Luke blasts the windscreen off the escape ship and snags the Imperial. Then they use the captured speeder and Imperial um, commander to enter the Imperial base and blow it up using the speeder as a bomb. Luke takes out a random TIE fighter and finishes off the base with a few quick shots. Odan and the Wookiee Yetis are so impressed that they throw in with the Rebel Alliance. And I think I actually made that story sound more complicated than it actually was. What's funny, that's not what I thought you were going to say. I think you actually made the story sound a little bit better than it actually oh, was. Okay. I, you know, not that I don't like it. I like it a lot. But reading it now as an adult, all these years later, I, uh -huh. I realized that uh, very quickly this story kind of kind of devolves into okay, this really only works as a comic book story because yeah. there's an awful lot of silly plot holes in it. But I still get a kick out of it mostly because the the first half of it is that beautiful. Simonson and uh, and Jansen art. The art's and, fantastic in this, and it's a little little. You know, sneak preview of Empire, yeah, with, uh, with a snow planet. See, I was trying to remember if we knew anything about the second Star Wars movie at this point. Uh -huh. Did we know anything about a, an ice planet or anything? And I, 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 I tend think to so. think no. So I'm wondering. See, I was trying to remember 
did Empire play into my enjoyment of this, or did this play into my enjoyment of Empire because of the snow angle? One, and I couldn't remember which was which. I think it was because of this story. Then I was so excited the first time I saw a trailer for, for Empire and the snow and all that, and I'm thinking, ooh, you know, we, we've seen that sort of thing, and it's really cool, mm-hmm. you know? I did look it up. I was very curious when exactly this took place in the publication history, and especially with, with Simonson in particular, I really wanted to know what was his history. You know, when you take this story into account and his work on the Marvel Star Wars title proper, where did it all fit together? And it turns out that the first chapter of this, Pizzazz number 10, was published within the same month as Star Wars number 16, which was his first work on Star Wars. It was the Valance the Cyborg story. So I thought that was pretty neat that they both came out concurrently. Right off the bat, I already talked about this a little bit. I love that opening uh, opening page. I almost call it an opening splash. It's not really, but the top panel no. is like a mini, it's like a half a splash page. I've always loved that image. There's just something about the fact that Luke's flying the ship you know, on its side as it comes flying down into the planet. I just think that's really cool, and you've got all the ice mountains and like everything in almost, the background because it gives it a sense of movement like it's banking into you know right icy area right yeah simonson's star wars is just i mean mm-hmm. everything looks like it should you know the droids look really good 3po looks a little bit funny from time to time because some of his poses are a little bit unnatural but for the most part simonson really gets the look of star wars i mean you can see glimmers here of his later work you know when he would come back post the empire strikes back and and really elevate this title you can see little little glimmers of it here well i like the combination of him and klaus jansen too i like the the thick lines of klaus jansen and especially the way it works with this Mm -hmm. i think it looks fantastic i really Mm -hmm. page uh 38 i like that shot of you know luke's flying the ship and he mentions Beggar's Canyon, you know, as he's trying to outrun the TIE fighters. And he does that little threading the needle maneuver where he flies underneath that ice cliff and one of the TIE fighters slams into it. I think that's really cool. Because in the Star Wars series proper, the next yeah. issue after 16 was the one where Luke was flying in Beggar's Canyon and did that maneuver. So I thought that was kind of neat. I don't know if it, you know, they necessarily relate, but. You know, unintentionally, you know, as a kid reading this, you wouldn't know that they don't necessarily tie to one another. It it it, it would all fit for you. Yes. Yep. Exactly. I think that's really neat. I like the shot. Where was it? Page thirty nine. That last panel on thirty nine. I don't know what it is that makes me laugh about it. I just like that shot of three PO climbing down off the side of the ship. I guess it's because he looks like he's about to slip and fall. Yes. But he looks like uh, yeah he, he looks like he's just gonna drop right off it and he's hanging <laughs> on for dear life. I like that sort of thing because it owes back to the first Star Wars movie where you would see things like that. Like there's that great shot where they all go to the Millennium Falcon for the first time, and it pans away just as R two looks like he's about to fall down the stairs. Yeah, and then a minute later he kind he comes just kind of tiptoeing into back you know back into frame again. But there's no way he could have gotten down those stairs without falling over. But I like that. That kind of this kind of calls <laughs> back to that to me. 
Oh, I love this. I don't know if you caught this or not. So, you know, again, remembering that this was all serialized, the beginning of the second chapter of this says, The polar waste of Arcuria 2, sent here by the Alliance to make uh, contact with a new rebel group, Luke, Princess Leia, and the droids have been shot down by Imperial Witchcraft. <laughs> what? <laughs> Imperial Witchcraft? Okay. I guess that's what a blaster is. Yep. I guess. So I guess Luke couldn't find bigger binoculars? Jesus. <laughs> Look at those things. <laughs> They're as big as his head. They're like two forty ounces. They're like those, <laughs> those Arizona iced teas or something. Well, plus, do they even use binoculars in Star Wars? I thought it was pretty much established they have that. What do they call it? I can't remember. There's macro a, binoculars. Macro binoculars. That's it. Yeah. But even that only has the one lens on it. I don't even yeah. know how they can call them binoculars. It only has the one lens. He's got a big enough muzzle on his blaster too. <laughs> but. What's, what did you think of the war sled? I thought that was actually kind of cool because it looks like oh, a old-fashioned yeah. like cruise ship with sleds on it, like skis on it. I like it. I don't know. I I don't know what it was for on this planet because I'm trying to figure out. I think this planet is mostly um, abominable snow wookies, and like this guy, <laughs> Colonel. Right. Um, what's his name? Odan. Odan. And and that's it. So what he right. would need this giant battle, the, and he's friends with the with those with the abominable snow wookies. So, it, yeah, it's weird. It's weird. I don't see uh, the presence of his people or anything, unless maybe the Imperials killed all of them, but him. See, I didn't understand this guy's importance. Why is he so important that you would risk sending Princess Leia and Luke Skywalker right. all the way to this planet just to get this dude? Who can't be all that bad because he's just, he's he's just, just snowmobile. Yeah, they just stole his snowmobile from him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's all he's doing is snowmobiling around the planet and hanging out with the Wookies. <laughs> so, you know, it's uh, it doesn't sound like it would be of much interest to the Empire or the Alliance. So, yeah, but you know, yeah, it'll be the first of many little. Yeah. I like on page 43 when you see the whole line of abominable snow wookies. I like the one in front. There's a big fat one in front. You see all the rest <laughs> of them, they're all buff, and that guy's just like, oh, wee, oh. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I like on page 43 where uh, they don't know that uh, this is an imposter yet, so they think it's Odin, and he's talking about you know the plans and everything, and he says, the secret of our rebel forces' success against the Empire has been in staying on the move. Um, wouldn't that thing leave tracks? <clears throat> yeah, so huge it wouldn't really tracks. matter where the hell you went. It only looks like it is... weighs several million tons. <laughs> it's the size of a cruise ship. It yeah, even looks metal. like a cruise ship with skis on it. An armored cruise ship. So, yep. I mean, granted the stormtroopers aren't the smartest guys, but... It seems to me all you'd have to do is, like, take an orbital photo and go, okay, let's just follow where these <laughs> ski tracks go. There uh -huh. they are right there. Yeah, exactly. It's, it doesn't – it don't work. It doesn't work. Well, if R2-D2 can, uh, you know, find the heat track of, you know, a, a small ship, you'd think that the Empire would be able to, yeah, scan a planet and – 
and see where a major piece of a, a machinery is running. Exactly. Probably be a trail of exhaust going up into the sky, too, behind it. <laughs> so we meet but, the, the real co- Colonel uh, Odan, and he runs in and he starts berating the uh, Snow Wookiee guys. And one of them actually has a name. His name is Fafnir. Uh, that's a very Earth-centric name, because that's a name from Norse mythology. I forget who he is exactly in Norse mythology. but Well, oh, and then you got Odan. Oh, that's right. He's oh, got one eye. He's got one eye. Oh, my God. How did I not catch that? Oh, and yeah, it's Walt think, Simonson. Yeah, I think they were having a little bit of, uh, a little bit of fun. I think he had just wor- he had just completed his first or was in the midst of his first run on Thor during this time too. Oh my god, I feel like a dope. How did I not catch that? You're absolutely right. Yeah. And what I like are the uh the snow wookies is since we don't have Chewie in this, we've got the snow wookies to say things like on page 45 like bork. Bork. <laughs> Whole complex sentences and arguments they can do it with just by just with Bork. And then you know, and then the human go, Yeah, yeah, I see what you mean. You know, if we did that, we'll do this and we'd have to do this. <laughs> oh, let's see what else I got here. I know I've got other good notes on this thing. Oh, here's one. You'll like this. Page forty nine. Now okay. here's we switch artists. We go from yes. From one team to the other. So now we've got Dave Cockrum and John Tartag. That very first panel right there, the yeah. uh, Imperial Stratohopper comes down. Does that not look just like one of the uh, Colonial Vipers? From oh, Battle it's Star? a total Colonial Viper. Yeah. I mean, it's that's cool. Why was, that's why I was saying there's a, the total connection to... I'm, I'm hoping this one was in the issue that had... Uh, had um, Battlestar Galactica on the cover. That would be too perfect. Might have, it might have been, actually. You know what's really ironic is that this is where Simonson went. He went from Star Wars, and then he w- he had a really good run on Battlestar Galactica for a And uh, our buddy Andy Leyland just covered that not long ago on his show as well, uh, Simonson's run on Battlestar Galactica. I have bits and pieces of that. I've long wanted to complete the you know that run and sit down and read the whole thing. I was never a Battlestar Galactica fan, but I, I love Simonson's art from this period so much and his work on Star Wars mm-hmm. and everything. The few issues of that that I do own that I've you know that I've perused, the art's just gorgeous. I mean, it really pops, and it and it again, it's right from the same era. So it's very reminiscent of his work on on Star Wars. One of these days, I'll have to really put my mind to completing that collection because I'd really like to have them all. Really, good. yeah, the art's taken a a, a comic booky term now, yeah. turn now. Very much so. See, that's the thing is, you know, I was listening to your synopsis and thinking, wow, you know, that synopsis really makes the story sound a lot better. And so I'm wondering. Here it turns into Perils of Pauline, except it's Luke yeah. who's tied to the, you know, we'll tie him in, we'll tie him up in the seat of the thing, which is pretty funny seeing Luke in the seat of the thing, like, rah! <laughs> Head towards the geyser sea, but yeah, it's, and then it just becomes a chase. There's no real story. It's just, you know, a chase, a snowworm, although the snowworm sort of was a little empire too with the, with the uh, giant slug in the in the meat in the giant you know 
in the meteor at uh, or asteroid. You know field. what? I, I never put that together. What I connected it with was that this is at least the second time that Luke has been pursued by a giant worm because he was chased by one in Splinter of the, Splinter Mind's, of the Eye. Mind's Eye. Yeah, but I, I forgot all about the space slug. You're absolutely right. What is with the... Uh, on page 51, that last panel, R2, everywhere that he should be blue, he's red. Yeah, it's I It's actually that. a really good look for him, but <laughs> how do you explain that? It's really weird. And 3PO looks bizarre. He looks like the Scarecrow a, or something. He's like, There's a lot of weird 3PO's that are g- going on. What page is it here? Um... 55 he looks like like some like the mechanical man from <laughs> some 50s comic or yeah, something he does he looks like robot man right there yes yeah very much so very much so there's a mention here of uh of r2's heat induction unit what <laughs> the hell is that all about i mean i guess maybe he has like a little laser thing or something but I mean, he's he's pouring out enough heat that combines... He's a Swiss Army robot. Yeah, exactly. There is to it. I mean, I guess. I mean, we would see him frequently, you know, have little attachments that we'd never seen before or see again, but still, it was just a little bit bizarre. Um, what else here? I know I had some other notes, but yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I don't care for the art in the latter half of the story. It's not horrible. It reminds me of like when you would get a toy and it would have a cheap Marvel comic tie-in to- art right. along with it. You know what I mean? Right. It, it's it's very reminiscent of that. I actually think it looks better when it goes to black and white. I think it translates a little better. But the black and white story, you know, and when it gets to the black and white story, it's just not a lot of... It's It looks better, but there's... There's stuff going on, but it's just like, oh, it's a chase. Oh, and then everything blows up. It just looks like, okay, we had to, we have this many pages to do the re- resolution, you know, which actually even if they were just doing it, that that would be what it was, but all I, in all I wonder if this may be set for a while before it was finally published in Marvel UK cuz remember, Pizzazz got canceled. So right. the, the black and white stories here are the are the chapters that never got published in Pizzazz. So if you look at the credits, uh, Cockrum's the only one that's credited. So I'm wondering, did he maybe ink his own stuff right here? Because I right. think it looks a little bit better. Like you say, it does look better in black and white, but I think the art itself looks a little it's bit better. cleaner, a little bit more streamlined, and I'm wondering if that's because it's not... Uh, Tartag or Tartaglioni, I guess his full name is. Yes, you the know, detail be- work is a lot cleaner in this yeah. than it is in the but, other one where it's kind of sketchy and Charlton y. Because I don't dislike Dave Cockrum. I mean, he's no Walt Simonson, but I don't dislike his stuff. I mean, he uh, he was a, an artist on The Legion for quite a long time, and I like that stuff. As a matter of fact, if you look on page 59. Right down at the bottom where it shows that Imperial, whatever it's supposed to be, that sled-looking thing. The snow flyer, I think they call it. That is a Legion of Superheroes cruiser right there. It's right, I mean, it's a little bit smaller, but it's the same design and everything. 
and uh, I really like this. I'd never noticed this before. But, of course, when this was printed, you know, the only time I'd ever read this story prior to this was in the uh, the paperback book reprint. So it was, the, the formatting is very different. But if you look here, you go to page 60, and that last panel on 60, and then the first panel on 61, if you look at the art and how much empty space there is in both of those panels, you can see where 60, that last panel was a chapter break, and, and 61, 61 was the opening one. Yeah, it would have had all yeah. that text at the top, which they didn't need now because they published it as one story and one issue. Yep, yep exactly. I think that's that's pretty neat. I'm wondering the first time that we ever saw how they board TIE Fighters, because here it shows the ladder that leads up into the TIE Fighter, but I'm not, I can't remember the first time I ever saw that anywhere. You know, uh, I, just, I like that Luke uses a TIE Fighter to just like... Luke gets to finally fly. He probably was really enjoying flying. The last shot of Luke on the last panel, he looks like devilish. (laughs) (laughs) And Princess Leia, I don't know what's going on with her. She's got a little forehead work in there. (laughs) That last shot of the the Imperial Commander, whose name we never do learn because he was disguised as Odin the whole time. But that last shot of him, he looks a lot like uh, Marvel's Dracula. Yes, the latter latter version of Dracula, like from X-Men. Yes, you're right. And then Odan, who was so damn important, I guess. I I still don't get that. What was so important about this guy? Joins the Rebel Alliance, (laughs) never to be heard from again. (laughs) (laughs) And left to continue sledding around his planet. Well, you would think that those... And they didn't even put a shot at the end of the the remastered um, Jedi with his planet celebrating the defeat of the second Death Star. <laughs> what a jip. The snow Wookiee celebration. <laughs> yes. Those guys would have come in really handy on Hoth, I would think. You know, they're, they're naturally camouflaged. They're used to the weather. They've got their own boogie boards. They even had a song all written for it. <laughs> The, the Bork Bork song. <laughs> oh, man. Gypped. Well, speaking of Wookiees. Yeah, that's what I was around. just going to say. At least we're going to get some. So is, as a matter of fact, I'm going to give everybody a little sneak preview of next month with Wark. I can't remember how this story is, but I know I love the art. The art is uh, Carmine Infantino and Pablo Marcus, Way of the Wookiee. And uh, I just, oh my God, I love the art in this. It's so good. And then after that, this is I believe one of my it, I believe at some part and it's like Gene Day takes out, like starts the, doing some... The next one after that is uh, The Day After the Death Star, which is one of my favorite Marvel Comics stories. You know, Marvel Comics Star Wars stories. Carmen Infantino and Gene Day, beautiful art, and Luke is wearing his styling jacket from the end of Star Wars, the uh, you know the ceremony jacket that he had on. It's uh, awesome. Yeah. His members-only jacket, his space members-only jacket. <laughs> We're headed into some good stuff, man. There's, yes, there's we are. really good stuff in here. I'm really looking forward to some of this. Oh, I'm settling into this. I'm just, yeah, I'm I'm very happy. I was looking at my bookmark going, ooh, we're going to be doing this for a little while. This is going to be great. Oh, yeah. 
See, I'm trying to remember how long, because I don't think these chapters are very long on this. We might even be able to double up some of these stories. I'm not we sure. Might be, well, we might be able to do the Wookiee story, and maybe we can do the day after after the Death Star story. All in one? That's not a bad All idea. One. Yeah, that's not a bad idea. Yeah, the Wookiee story is not that long, and the day after the Death Star is only a few pages. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so, let's, let's set that as our goal. I, I think I know where we're. I, we have agreed that we know where we're going after this, right? That we want to do yeah. the newspaper stuff. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to that, and I, I know that won't take us very long, anyway. The newspaper stuff. There's a uh, lot of it. Oh, there's yeah, there's quite a bit. I mean, but I'm thinking when we do the newspaper stuff, there's there's definitely opportunities there to cover the newspaper stuff and some other stuff because I mm-hmm. I do like this idea that. You know, several of the listeners have thrown to us of incorporating the current Dark Horse Star Wars series, you know, into this coverage because mm-hmm. it's set right in the same era. So I'm I'm thinking kind of like what Mark said. You know, let's knock out the stuff that's in this omnibus, get all the way through the Marvel comics, you know, the the cleanup work on that, and then I'm kind of thinking that we might possibly be able to do both the newspaper strips. And the current Dark, the Dark Horse, Horse title, you know, concurrently in the shows yes. because they are set in the same era. It might be really fun to kind of compare and contrast. All oh, right, well, I'll say this about picking... the Dark Horse: uh-huh. it's it's um, it, we would definitely be able to do that. It's good, but it's definitely a quick read. It's definitely one of those ones, you know, it's like a Walking Dead comic. It's going to take you about ten minutes to read it, you know. Mm-hmm. So there's not the level of story, you know, like our synopses for those are going to be quite short, you know. So I think we could definitely do that. Yeah, I think that sounds like a lot of fun. Because, I mean, I don't think that there's anything terribly deep in the the newspaper stuff either. No. Uh, I'm really looking forward to covering But there's a lot of stuff nostalgia. that's fun in it. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. There's mysterious Sith Lords that we'd never see again. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to covering that stuff just because it's going to be such a, a, a dichotomy for me because on the one hand, like the Manning stuff, I'm really knowledgeable of. I love that. I grew up with that. I've read uh-huh. it a million times. And then there's the the Williamson stuff, which I really have not ever read and really don't know anything about. So, you know, there's, there's both halves there. I think that'll be a lot of fun. Yeah. You know, to both revisit and discover something, you know, completely new. And uh, I, I love the Manning stuff. I think there's some really, really fun uh, stuff in there. You know, the first time we ever heard Luke's father's name and all this different stuff that's in there. I think that's really cool. Looking forward to it. I. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Join our forum at forumforgeeks.com. 
where you can discuss all of the shows on our feed with us and your fellow listeners. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. And hey, you can friend me, Scott Gardner, on Facebook too. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. You can friend me on Facebook too, if you can find me. Now available, Two True Freaks t-shirts. See our website for details. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check that out at www.comicspodcast.com, where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. We are also members of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? Thanks for listening, and join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. 